Just relax. Listen to the sounds, the tempo, and just picture yourself there in your dreams. Can you see it? Are you there? Yes. of Dorothy's? I don't know. Maybe. What you have there is a handwritten early draft of Dorothy's first book. Her writings were all based on her dreams of a place. Us? I feel... This is the best chance we have to unlocking all of this. To finding the truth. The truth? Yes, about Dorothy, the slippers. Stay away from us! Stay away from us! Stay Your dreams, they're the key to all of this. Let's start at the beginning, and then you can learn for yourself. This is the new Chilling. Be sure to join us over on the Chilling app today. You can get an exclusive 50% off for any annual subscription you use on the website using code GALE2023. Starting September 18th, you can exclusively only stream this original film on Chilling. Gale, stay away from Oz, is streaming now. You never know what's gonna go down in the woods. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from the woods. Some of these are definitely gonna be downright strange crimes that would basically make you shiver to ever walk outside again. Some of these are gonna be some allegedly true encounters with unknown creatures, and others are going to be mixed in between. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, be sure to elbow that like button in the face, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true in-the-woods horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Michael Soka, A Disturbing Tale of Violence in the Alaskan Wilderness The case you are about to hear involving Michael Silka is a tragic and disturbing story. Michael Silka's actions left a lasting impact on the communities affected, 
and the mystery surrounding his motivations and the whereabouts of some of the victims' bodies has added to the tragedy. It's not uncommon for individuals with a fascination for firearms in the wilderness to find themselves in legal trouble, especially if their interests lead to legal conflicts. Silka's criminal history, including his arrest for robbery and weapons possession, paints a picture of a troubled individual with a solid attraction for firearms and outdoor living. The events in Manly Springs, Alaska in 1984 are particularly harrowing. Silka's involvement in the disappearance of several people, followed by a shootout with law enforcement that resulted in the death of Trooper Troy Duncan, is shocking and violent. The fact that some of the victims' bodies were never found adds an extra layer of tragedy to the story. Silka's motivations for his actions remain a mystery. It's often difficult to understand the causes of individuals who commit such heinous acts, especially when they take their own lives in the process, as Silka did during the shootout with law enforcement. Without more information about his mental health and the specific circumstances surrounding the crimes, it may be impossible to determine why he even did this action. This case serves as a grim reminder of the complexities of human behavior and the challenges law enforcement faces when dealing with heavily armed individuals. It also highlights the importance of community support in the efforts made by authorities and the victims' families to seek justice and closure in such tragic cases. In 1984, a chilling killing spree unfolded in the remote wilderness of Manly Springs, Alaska, at the hands of Michael Silka, an Illinois native with a lifelong fascination for both the wilderness and firearms. Troubling encounters with the law marked Silka's disturbing journey. During his teenage years, Silka's obsession with the outdoors and firearms led him to commit multiple robberies of sporting goods stores seeking campment equipment and guns. He even ran away to the Canadian wilderness with his brother returning only when their supplies ran out. Silka's legal troubles continued as he frequently was detained and fined for openly carrying a 19th century muzzle loader. In 1978, he enlisted in the United States Army, where despite his exceptional skills with weapons during basic training, his unruly behavior, including discharging his gun in the barracks and assaulting a military police officer, led to his discharge in 1981. In civilian life, Silka continued to violate weapons possession laws. In 1982, he was once again pulled over by a traffic patrolman who found a collection of firearms and knives in the car, leading to a brief jail sentence. A similar incident occurred in 1983, prompting Silka to flee to Alaska. Silka settled in Chena Ridge, a remote Alaskan village where trouble followed him. His neighbor, Roger Culp, went missing, and while Culp's body was never found, traces of blood near his home made Silka a prime suspect. Silka disappeared before he could be questioned by law enforcement any further. Silka would resurface in Manly Springs about a month later, impressing the locals with his outdoor survival skills. However, tragedy struck when six locals, including a pregnant woman and a young child, went missing near the boat landing. Authorities found blood and shell casings at the scene, making Silka the primary suspect once again. 
Soka fled with a stolen boat, leading to a dramatic manhunt. A day later, authorities located him 25 miles away from Manly Springs. During a confrontation, Soka fired on law enforcement, fatally shooting Trooper Troy Duncan and injuring Captain Donald Lawrence. In response, officers returned fire, killing Soka in the process. After Soka's death, the search for the missing victims intensified, with four bodies eventually being recovered months later. However, the remains of the other four, including Roger Culp, remain undiscovered. The motivations behind Silka's violent actions went to the grave with him, leaving a haunting mystery in the Alaskan wilderness. The tragic case of Michael Silva serves as a grim reminder of the complexities of human behavior and the challenges law enforcement once again face in dealing with heavily armed individuals prone to violence. It also underscores the importance of community support and tireless efforts of authorities and the victims' families in seeking justice and closure in such tragic endings. Manhunt in the Forest by James T. The woods were alive with whispers that night, the moon's pale light filtering in through the dense canopy of ancient trees. My heart raced as I crouched behind a gnarled oak, my breath shallow and rapid. The game of manhunt had taken a sinister turn, and I could feel the weight of darkness pressing in on me. It did start as a typical Friday night with my friends. We gathered at Mark's house, a decrepit old cabin nestled on the edge of the sprawling forest. We decided to play Manhunt, a game we had played countless times before. The rules were simple. One person would be it, while the rest scattered into the woods. The goal was for whoever was it to find and tag everyone within a specified time. The twist this night was that the forest had become our hunting ground. Mark volunteered to be the first person to be it, and we all scattered in different directions. The woods were eerily quiet as I huddled behind an oak tree, my heart pounding in my chest. I had ventured deeper into the forest than I ever had gone before, the inky darkness closing in around me. Time passed, and I heard a faint whisper echoing through the trees, the wind carrying eerie laughter that sent shivers down my spine. I clutched my flashlight tighter, my only source of comfort in the black void of the forest. It was then that I realized something was terribly wrong. I tried to retrace my steps, but every tree and rock seemed to conspire against me, shifting and morphing into unrecognizable forms. Panic set in as I realized I was hopelessly lost, far from the safety of the cabin. My friends' voices grew more distant, their laughter and cries for help fading into the night. My flashlight began to flicker, casting long, eerie shadows that danced like malevolent spirits. Desperation consumed me as I stumbled through the underbrush, branches clawing at my clothes. I called out to my friends, my voice cracking with fear, but there was no response. The forest seemed to come alive with horrors of its own. Strange, otherworldly sounds filled the air, rustling leaves that sounded like whispered secrets and phantom footsteps that echoed all around me. Shadows darted through the trees and I couldn't tell if they were real or just figments of my imagination. 
Hours passed, though it felt like an eternity. My flashlight had finally died, plunging me into total darkness. I was alone, disoriented, and utterly terrified. My only option was to keep moving, hoping I would stumble upon something familiar at some point. And then, just when I had given up all hope, I saw a glimmer of light in the distance. It was the faint glow of the moon breaking through the thick foliage. I followed it like a lifeline, pushing through the tangle of branches until I stumbled out of the woods and into a small clearing. The cabin was there, bathed in the moonlight. My friends were gathered on the porch, their faces etched with relief and concern. Mark, the original person who was it, had long since abandoned the game, realizing the danger we were all in. They rushed to my side, their voices a chorus of relief and worry. I was shaken, disheveled, and forever haunted by the horrors I had encountered in those cursed woods. We never played Manhunt in the forest again, and I couldn't blame them. There was something malevolent lurking in those woods, something that had nearly claimed me as its victim. The memories of that night would haunt my dreams for years to come, a constant reminder that not all games are meant to be played in the dark depths of the unknown. Tales from the Appalachian Woods by Anonymous The story I'm about to share takes place on two separate occasions. My grandparents live in rural southern Ohio near the edge of the Appalachian Trail. Growing up, you always heard ghost stories of what happens out there when the sun goes down. It's very vital to describe the layout of my parents' property for everyone to understand this story. My grandparents' house sits on five acres, surrounded by thick wooded areas. On the property, seven different trails lead you around my grandparents' house, which we usually use for hunting. One day, my brother and I decided to walk the trails. We enjoyed riding four-wheelers and taking in the scenery of my grandparents' secluded property. The route we were on splits into two other courses. The path to the left loops you back around to the house, and the other trail takes you to the creek, where you can sit and watch all kinds of wildlife. My brother and I decided we wanted to go down to the creek and care for animals while also looking for remarkable rocks that I loved to collect at the time. The only way to get down to the creek at the split is to walk as the four-wheeler is too big to fit through the brush in the trees on that specific trail. So we ditched the four-wheeler and took off on foot. The path down to the creek is about a mile long. The sun shone through the trees, and it was a crisp fall evening with a slight breeze. My brother and I wasted little time until we finally reached the creek. As I said before, we walked alongside the water for about 15 minutes. Walking, we stumble across a broken-down shed that my brother and I had never seen before. It's pretty important to mention that my grandparents' property has tons of markers, letting everyone know that their property starts here. Standing on the left side of the creek, the shed was on the opposite side. My brother and I looked at each other with confused looks, but eventually my brother got distracted by something else, and we continued down. But not me. I fell into a trance as if I needed to go inside. I yelled to Jay and told him to come back. I told him maybe we should check this out some more, but my brother has never been a fan of anything remotely scary, seeing this run-down shed that looked to be falling apart did not interest him. 
so we went back to the house and forgot about it for a while. But that night, for some reason, I kept waking up with fever dreams, cold sweats, and just absolutely sweating everywhere, freaking out, screaming, sleep paralysis, everything you could imagine was happening to me at once. I kept seeing this, this little rundown shed from across the creek. I, I would always be at a distance, but the door would open, this dark mist would come out, and then these eyes would appear. And almost as if like by proxy, I would be dragged into this house by these, this, this invisible force and I would never be heard from again. It kept happening and happening. The next day I went out to go see if I could confront this place, maybe find some type of reason to why I'm having so much you know, anxiety about it. But when I went back, it wasn't there. I looked up and down all over the place. I even asked my brother, and Jay swears that there was never any shed there. So, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I experienced something nuts, but I'll, I'll let you guys tell me. I don't know how to start the story, but it happened only an hour ago, and I'm still absolutely spooked. So this is a bit of a preface. My friend and I are home alone now, and we have been for a few hours. Every time he comes over, we go to the woods by my house, and it's ordinarily uneventful. But some throwing rocks and breaking trees and stuff, harmless fun. But this time, something else happened. As I said, we're home alone, and have been for quite some time. And while this happened, we were home alone. We went outside to go to the woods and the trip was uneventful for a minute, but once we actually got in there, something, something just felt off. Everything was dark, tons of trees had been knocked down, and the whole place looked completely different, like somebody had rampaged through the area. We kept going in, still having our usual harmless fun, and at one point, my friend turned to me and said we should go back. I looked at my phone and decided it had only been 30 minutes, so we might as well stay a bit longer because it'll be a few hours until anyone would want us to be home. We continued finding a few strange things, like an old crushed Mountain Dew can, probably 10 to 20 years old, a toy boat that had been destroyed by the wind and water, and other things that probably were even older than that can. We planned to go further than I had ever been into those woods before, which isn't very hard because I've barely been that deep. After walking for a while, we came to a landmark I knew of that marked the deepest that I had ever been. Some time ago, when I was going far into the woods, I came upon a bridge built on a log that fell over into the river in the middle of the woods. However, one thing was different this time. Something was sitting on top of it. Whatever it was was small and resembled the head of an animal. When we got closer to get a good view of it, it was a deer skull, pearly white and clean sitting on the bridge, with no clue as to who put it there, and why, or where the rest of it was. Behind the river was a massive hill with a creepy small house on it, and while we were looking around, I heard a creak or something high-pitched coming towards us. Freaking out, I began to run, and from behind me, I heard my friend scream and I heard him running. We both kept running, and once we reached the edge of the woods, we stopped onto the road. I asked him why he screamed and he said he heard footsteps next to him. We quickly made our way home. The garage door was open when we got there. Not knowing if it was left open or not, we ran inside, locking the doors, checking the house, and turning the alarm on. 
This is still one of the creepiest things I've ever experienced. I don't know what was out there in the woods with us that night, if that deer skull and house has anything to do with it, but it was downright scary. I live right next to a Navajo reservation and have made friends with many of the people there my age. We hang out, play games, and we're just ordinary teens. I walk over a lot since my best friend lives less than a mile away from me. This isn't a long trek and usually only takes me about 30 minutes or so. I've made this trip dozens of times and have become very comfortable with it. I know the people along the way, so I'm not scared or on edge. There is a patch of forest, however, about midway there. It's a little unnerving sometimes. There was always that feeling of being watched. This was a regular occurrence, so I tried to ignore it and shake it off as my mind playing tricks on me. On this day, I spent more time at my friend's house than I meant to, and when I left, it was already getting dark. I reached the stretch of forest right as the sun disappeared from the sky. I shivered a little as I readied myself to begin the journey through. I was about 10 to 15 steps in when I heard a tree branch snap. You know the sound that screams there is someone or something there with you? I froze, not sure of what I should do next. Should I run? Should I turn around and book it back at my friend's house? I didn't know the best option in this situation. I whispered, Hello? Hearing my voice crack as the words fell from my lips. I don't even know why I opened my mouth, but it was out there so I listened for any reply, anything at all. My heart sank when the answer came back in the same sound of my own voice, but distorted. Hello? I started to breathe too fast. My heart pounded against my chest. I felt like I would faint at any moment. Hello? My voice came again, but not from my mouth. I wanted, I wanted to run, but my feet felt cemented to the ground. I could not make myself scream, I couldn't reply as my voice echoed over and over from a short distance away. I could not pinpoint exactly where it was coming from. It sounded like it was everywhere around me. Hello? 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 It repeated, Stop it! I finally managed to tear it from my lips, and everything went silent. For a long minute, nothing happened. The air grew stale, and I realized for the first time that there were no typical forest sounds. No bugs, no frogs, no crickets, nothing at all. I stood there, terrifying, waiting to see what would happen next. Stop it. It mimicked back. Somehow, I had had enough and was willing my heavy legs to move. Before I could take a step, I heard a rustling in the bushes 20 feet to my left. I watched in horror as a deer head with huge antlers protruded through the brush. I took off as it came out and stood up on two legs. I flew out of those woods and got home in record time. When I got there, I said nothing to my mother. I went straight to my room, laid down, and thought about what had just happened. My mother came in at some point and asked me if everything was okay. I replied that yes, I was just tired. I don't know why I didn't tell her. I might have been afraid of how she would react, I guessed. I called my friend and told him everything. He freaked out and said that no matter what happened that night, do not reply or look out my window. This terrified me even more. He said to call him the following day and he would explain more, and that he had to speak to his grandfather as soon as possible. That night, I could not fall asleep at all. I mean, could you blame me? I stayed awake, listening to every little sound that night brought. 
Sometime around 3 a.m., just as I was about to drift off to sleep, the air noticeably changed, and the night sounds quieted. I felt my heart begin to pound. I laid there and waited, pulling the covers over my head like a child, far too scared to move. It came after a silent moment. It was all too long. Hello? I cried. It was all I could do. Hello? Stop it. It mocked what I had repeated in the woods earlier. It was terrifying enough when it copied what I said, but then it did something new. It called my name. It called my name in my mother's voice. It just kept repeating, Amy, Amy, come here, and then repeating those same phrases over and over. For the rest of the night, the creature outside my window called my name in my mother's voice and repeatedly repeated what I said in the woods. In the morning, it finally stopped when the sun broke through the dark. I fell into a fitful sleep. I woke up around midday to my friend calling me and telling me he had spoken to his grandfather and could explain exactly what was going on. He said there were creatures out there called flesh gates or potentially even a skimwalker. He explained that it was an evil witch that used dark magic to transform into animals and other beings. It somehow caught my scent and knew me. It was attached to me, cursing me, if you will. I was also given a warning that since it knew me now, it would always follow me, that I would always have to be careful. Last night I heard scratching on my window, then a low hum. The creature began repeating my name and adding things I hadn't heard yet, again in my mother's voice. At one point, it started calling my name but drawing it out far too long. It tried to get me outside or to open the door or to let it in my house. This went on all night. At this point, I feel like I'm going crazy. I don't know what to do. Will it stalk the shadows around me for the rest of my life? I don't think I can honestly handle that. I am a 23-year-old woman, half Cherokee from Georgia, when this happened, my fiancé and I lived on a large farm in Maryland. We didn't use the farm, but we rented a small house on the property, and we were free to come and go around the grounds. I was only 19 at the time this took place, and the only residents in our home were myself, my fiancé, and our cat and dog. Our cat was a lunatic barn cat that I had rescued because I can't say no to animals that need help, and our loyal pit bull, a sweet, cuddly, scaredy cat. She weighed about 75 pounds and was afraid of her own shadow. Our farm was situated on approximately 20 acres of land and our driveway was nearly a half a mile long. So usually when I would get home from work, my loyal dog and I would go for a walk and usually I brought my fiance with me. Not that I was afraid to go out alone, just that he spends too much time playing video games and anything to get him to use his legs is good. After our driveway was a 12-mile-long road through the woods and farms until it finally reconnected with civilization, so it was safe to say that we were far from other people except from our landlord. The first mile or so were through an open farmland, followed by a brief patch of forest, and then about a half a mile or so of wheat fields, and then solid forest for another couple of miles. Now that you have a bit of information on the layout, on to the creepy part. So it started like any other weekday evening. My fiancé and I returned home from our work to our comfortable cottage and pets. Harley, our dog, was frantic to go for a walk, so I quieted her, changed into my walking clothes, and asked if the fiancé would join me. He had gotten home shortly after me and said he had seen one of those coyotes out near our house and didn't think it was a good idea tonight. Still, as you may know, coyotes are primarily scavengers, especially out here on the East Coast. So I was not too worried and I am very capable of defending myself. 
I called him a puss and told Harley we would go and be fine without him. Laughing to myself, we left the cottage and started walking toward the driveway. The sun was going down, the October air had begun to get a chill, and it rustled through the cornfields next to our long driveway. The corn was about six feet tall at this point in the year and impossible to see through. So I assumed that my fiancé was trying to scare me because there's no way he could have seen a coyote in this field. Harley was enjoying her time in the area tearing in and out of the corn stalks on our walk up the driveway, and I knew that she was a big coward, so she would definitely alert me to any danger very quickly by running away. By the time I reached the end of the driveway, the sun had set and the moon, which had already come out, was shining high about the fields. It wasn't quite complete, but it provided enough light that I didn't need to use my flashlight or Harley's collar light. We turned left down the road and proceeded across the first section of the field. This first field was soybeans. If you don't know, they are relatively short plants that nothing but a rabbit could hide in. Off in the distance, I spotted a few deer but nothing alarming, so we relaxed and enjoyed our walk through the night air. I threw a stick and Harley brought it back repeatedly. Typical dog and owner stuff. We reached the first small section of trees and Harley stopped and bumped into my leg letting me know there was something ahead. It wasn't a coyote or a deer, but a rabbit that had been hit by a passing car that was still struggling to survive. As much as I hate to say this, there was no way it was going to live, and honestly, it was probably what drew the coyotes in. I knelt by it and used my knife quickly to put it out of its misery, as my family had taught me to do, and let it pass into the next life. Feeling sad but somewhat relieved that we had only encountered a handful of deer and that poor rabbit, we continued our walk and passed into the following field. This was a wheat field, and the wheat was about ready for harvest, so it was tall and hard to see. The area was quiet, though, and Harley didn't do anything, so I figured the coyotes had passed on if there had been any. Now this is the part you have been waiting for, and I don't know what it was, but here it is. We rounded the corner of the field and into the area with wheat on our left and a forest on our right. The air seemed to go still, almost like it was stale. Harley got closer to me, and I heard rustling in the wheat field. I saw three tails circling back toward the forest. Coyotes, I thought. The eastern coyotes are small, but in a pack, they can get pretty ballsy. Harley raised her heckles, and I yelled, Get out of here! Go! Bugger off! As loud as I could and the coyotes started scattering off into the trees. I decided to turn around and get out of there before they regroup because I am brave, but I am not going to walk into a dark forest with a coyote pack and a cowardly pit bull. We turned back and again I heard a rustling in the wheat. A confused coyote maybe? I thought it must be, but no. Harley was standing stock still staring at the grain and I whistled for her to come with me. That high-pitched ear-piercing two-fingered whistle. That snapped her out of it for a split second, when my whistle was returned from the inside of the wheat. Suddenly, all the family legends I had heard came flooding back to me, and I expected to see a tall, thin creature emerge, but nothing did. It didn't smell rotting, it didn't smell bad, I just had this sense of dread. I was transfixed with fear and curiosity. I whistled again, and the whistle was then returned once more. Very human-sounding, but at the same time, not. Against my better judgment, I swear, I said something. I don't remember what I said, but it repeated it back to me. There was no bugs, no coyotes, no Harley noises, just my breath. Slowly, the rustling started again, and I turned on my flashlight. 
I shined it on the wheat field and what I saw still confuses me to this very day. Animal eyes. They were green, with like a yellow hue in the reflection. But what they were connected to made no sense. There was a little girl, no more than 14 or 16 years old, crouched in the wheat. She wore what I think must have been deer skin or fur, and she was naked otherwise. She was skinny and looked like her skin had never seen sunlight before. Her hair was long and tangled with wheat and leaves. Under any other circumstances, I would have said she was beautiful, but at that moment she was terrifying. We stared at each other for what must have been a solid minute or so, but felt like much longer until I heard the unmistakable coyote howl from the forest. Both of our heads snapped toward the noise, and immediately I heard her take off through the wheat toward the sound. At that moment, Harley took off toward the house and I went after her. We didn't stop running until we got to the driveway and I stopped not wanting my fiancé to know I was running away from something. I could still hear the howling in the distance and we started walking back at a brisk pace. We made it back to the cottage with no further problems and I didn't tell my fiancé about it. Not wanting him to go out there with a gun, she hadn't hurt me and so I didn't think it was right to hunt her. I was awoken in the middle of the night by the sound of coyotes outside of our cottage. This wasn't usual but now I wondered if she was with them. When I was coming home from work about a month later, I had stopped obsessing about that night, and I almost thought I had imagined it when I slammed on my brakes. I saw something in the road. It was dark, and when my headlights hit it, the eyes reflected green and yellow. It was a large coyote. I stared at it very briefly, and then it ran into the woods. I know this sounds crazy, but I still wonder if that was her. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true in-the-woods horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to punch that like button a few times as it helps me out a ton. Be sure to subscribe if you're new and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them almost every single day in all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. Again, many thanks to Chilling for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to go check out the new Chilling app. You can also find a browser version of that now, so if you want to go on your computer, your laptop, or whatever, you can now watch and listen to your favorite scary content over there. Exclusive horror movies are coming out over there. As you can see, they are no joke. They are very good. 